take control of your life. Like, don't leave things to chance. Like, we really do control so much. And, you know, like the whole saying, like, we all have the same 24 hours. Uh, you know, I, I think the whole concept of be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Like, you know, I, I, I just think, like, take, like, like, go control what you control. Like, go control what you control. What is up, everybody? It is the Make It Happen podcast with myself, Nolan Alm. Today is a big day. We got my former coach and current offensive coordinator at Fresno State University, Coach Pat McCann, on the podcast. One of my favorite episodes, without a doubt, to this point so far on the podcast. I'm super, super excited. We talk about a bunch of different things. A little bit about, you know, how he's achieved his high levels of success that he has thus far. We talk about, you know, his journey, his his approach to his life, so many different things. So I'm so excited. You guys are going to have a ton of value. You're going to get a ton of value out of this podcast. Be ready to take notes. Be ready to pause. Go into your notes. This might be even one that you want to re-listen to, but it is so good. I gained a ton. I'm trying to take notes while I'm asking questions. It was such a great episode. So I'm super excited for you guys to tune in. Please, like I've said before, if you review this show, it helps it grow. It helps more people make it happen and get these messages from these incredible people that I'm able to bring onto the podcast. So please, please do that. Um, And then also, like I said, share this around with someone that needs to hear it. If you're ambitious, share it with two people, but please share it with at least one person. If you think that you've gotten value out of this so far, I would really, really appreciate that. So with that being said, here is Coach Pat McCann. Let's start off your your days in in Western Washington as a player um, and kind of like where where does your love for this game come from? Like let's let's go back to to kind of the beginning of, of this journey of you transitioning to a coach and that sort of stuff. I kind of like probably tracing back really at some point, like my sophomore year of high school, I, I started working really hard. Um, I got basically told that the MO on me was that I don't work hard mm. and that I'm lazy. And so uh, that was like a pivotal moment for me. Uh, you know, so I worked really hard, but, you know, being at College of the Canyons and being around like a bunch of really, really good players, like guys that went on playing the NFL uh, or went on to big things college football wise. And then, uh, but, you know, like I'm at COC and there's guys that sign with all these places out of high school and, you know, maybe they didn't qualify or whatever, or maybe they, you know, they just got kind of overlooked and they end up leaving COC and going to uh, really big places, you know, and like going on doing great things in the game. And then, uh, like I kind of took my lumps to be honest, like kind of like you coming down from Canada and it was like, man, like, like I thought I was a decent player. And then it's like, Oh man, like, and so, uh, that's probably one of the things I probably haven't shared with you. Like I went through a similar transition, you know, I was going against all of a sudden some dudes that signed with, you know, I mean, you know, Justin Tryon, one of our corners, he ended up, you know, playing for Arizona state and playing in the Super Bowl, went, won a Super Bowl with the giants, you know, as sure. a DB um, we had to do Roshan Marshall that was, I mean, he could literally, he, he could w- get out of bed and run a four, three. I mean, just, you know, some guys that I played with that were just exceptional. Um, and I took my lumps at first, you know? And, and so uh, then all of a sudden I get to Western Washington and uh, I don't want to say it was easier, but it was kind of, it, 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 it was just because like some of the caliber of guys I was going against every day in practice and then all of a sudden it was kind of like the game started slowing down for me and I started having some success, you know, and, and granted it was at the division two level, but I'm having success. And that's really where it kind of really started was I didn't, I didn't plan on coaching. And then I had some coaches at Western Washington that were part of me having success. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, like I want to be that for guys too. Like mm-hmm. I want to be able to take guys and help them have success is really where it all started. Right. So, and I, I think that's such an important thing to talk about too, because there is one thing I do remember you sharing about uh, COC is you dreaded one-on-ones. And and even for me, like I told you, I remember you said that to me. I'm like, that's how I feel. I don't even know if you remember me saying that. I was like, that's how I feel right now, coach. Um, but I think that's so important for 
people to hear because obviously like you went on to have all this success but some like the story isn't always going to be Cinderella from the get-go and those probably shaped you into the player that you became right those early days of losing those one-on-ones and stuff oh 100 like and, and, and I really do believe this is like man like if you can like when you are are really good at one-on-ones like that to me like sets the state like like because then because then you have confidence of like man like the, the people always ask me all the time like what's the hardest defense to go against it's a defense that can just flat out just play man like that's the that's the hardest defense to go because because you have to constantly beat it all the time it's not like there's no zone beaters it's like no I have to win my one-on-one all the time and so uh you know I just think that that's one of those things where uh you know, like it can be a huge, I, I just remember just my freshman year to sophomore year, just the confidence level of like, I didn't dread one-on-ones my sophomore year, you know, but it was like one-on-ones that freshman year. It's like, I go from having never really been pressed to all of a sudden I'm like, I got this guy on my face. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, <laughs> like back up, bro. Like, you know, and so I, I just think that just the experience factor and going against good guys. And then all of a sudden you start gaining some confidence because you start having some success and then that builds and, and it kind of creates a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a snowball effect, you know, as it, as it gets rolling. Right. And so let's, let's go back to that sophomore year in high school. Cause I, I've never heard you say that before. Um, like, so the MO was you that you didn't, the MO on you was that you didn't work hard, but like, what do you remember what specifically made you change? And then was it kind of like from then on, you always had this dog work ethic or was like, was there ups and downs and stuff? Cause now, I mean, we know that we've seen the day in the life, like it's, <laughs> you're just yeah. a machine, right. But like, was it kind of a process to get there? And that was the the catalyst for change or talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, okay. I could, I can, I remember super vividly. Okay. So at, at Olympia high school uh, at the time, I don't know what the structure is now, but there was a varsity JV, there was a C team and there was a freshman team, but I for sure thought like I'm in the top, 24 25 players in the program for sure well if i'm in the top 24 players in the program for sure i'm sure as hell not on c team that that we go through tryouts and my sophomore year and uh, they bring me in and they're like uh you're gonna be on c team and i'm like the fuck like what like i'm like c team really like there's no way like after going through tryouts, I'm like, there's no way. Right. And they're like, yeah, you're going to go on C team. So C team practiced in the, the second gym, like the alternate gym after everybody. Like, so like varsity and JV would practice from three to five and C team and freshman team would be like five 30 to seven 30 in the ox gym. I'm pissed. Like I didn't even know if I wanted to play like, because mm-hmm. my whole thing and and really the, the perception was like, if you're on C team as a sophomore, you're never really going to be a varsity guy. Like maybe you become like a role guy somewhere down this, down the line. But like, that's like, that is the perception. It's like, you know, and I'm like, man, like they really view me as like a C team guy. Like, wow. As a sophomore. And C team was essentially like the sophomore team. And I just remember being like really upset about it. So we go out and go to practice and John Kiley is the head varsity basketball coach. And Kylie's like a legend. Like I looked up to coach Kylie, like, and coach Kylie, and I don't know if he remembers this, but I sure as hell do. He came and he watched our first practice and sat there. No, it wasn't our first practice. It was like four or five practices in because it was right before the first game. Mm-hmm. Like we, it was like Wednesday and we played Friday or whatever it was. It was like two days before the first game. And he sits there and he comes in at five or at five 30 and he watches the entire practice and he didn't take his eyes off me. This is the varsity coach, not the JV coach. The varsity coach stayed there from the entire practice and literally watched me the entire time. Like, man, like this is kind of weird. Like coach Kylie's eyes are on me the whole time. And, and I don't remember if I had a good practice or not, like, but I, I, I remember like, like, I'm going to make a point right now, but like, I shouldn't be on freaking Z team. And uh, the next day I get called in and it's like, Hey, you're, you're, on, you're on JV. 
like, okay. Like one, I'm in my head. I'm like, thank God. Like this is where I should be at. But I'm like, you know, thank you. So we practice, we practice that day. So that was like maybe the day before the game. And then I start, like I start the first game on JV. Like I start, like I didn't go from like being like, like C team to being like last man on the bench. Like I'm starting. I'm like, dude, I knew I was in, I'm in the top 17, 18 guys in this program, not the top 25. I start. And I'm like, so there are like, there's like a little bit of ego kicks in. Like, man, like I knew this is where I was supposed to be at the next day, Saturday morning, we had a Saturday morning practice and Mike Steen was the JV basketball coach. He's a math teacher at Olympia and awesome dude. And Mike Steen, Coach Steen, he pulls me aside and he's and he sits me down. I'll never forget it on the on the bench over on the home side bleachers at Olympia. And he goes, Pat, you why were you on C team? Like I don't know. And he was like, "This was very intentional." And he goes, "The story on you is that you're lazy, that you don't work hard." And we wanted to see really what, like, kind of essentially, like, if, like, what you were really made of, like, like, were you gonna, were you gonna pout and quit or were you gonna do something about it? And I just, it sank in. Like, when he called me lazy, I'm like, man, like, it was, it, it was done in a very respectful but direct way. And I'm like, man, like, I just got called lazy. Like, like that, it like stung. Like, it was one of those things that stung. And yeah, there was a ton of ups and downs. Um, you know, like I started working way harder and practice became way more important to me and all that. But like, I still, like, I wouldn't say like, you know, there's still certain areas. Like I didn't lift weights hard. Um, you know, like maybe I practiced harder and maybe I ran harder when we did speed workouts. I became really enamored with like getting faster. So like, but like, you know, there are certain areas that I maybe didn't work hard in. But I would say my overall work ethic totally changed from that moment on. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that, too. I just love your ability to like, when did when did you start? Because you always have a story to, to, to tell a lesson or something like that. Like, I don't know if anyone's asked you this question before, but like not many people use their own life experiences as lessons for others or even for themselves. And really, like you're you're asking questions in your head where you're like, how did I get like you? You had the answer for me right away. Why you were the way you were? Like, when did that self reflection start for you? Is there a, is is there a moment with that, or was that something that you kind of always had? No, I mean, like, there's certain things that do stick out to me. Like, there's certain things that I think you know. I think we all kind of always have kind of pivotal moments. Like, if we really think about it, um, you know. And there's some times. You know, like there's some times like just kind of along the way and uh, that, uh, you know, I really reflect back on like mm -hmm. as far as just kind of like, like, man, like, why am I this way? You know, or like, what was it? You know, and like for me, I think sometimes you you have to be posed those questions. I forget, you know, one book, you know, it was uh, one of John Gordon's books and, you know, Dabo Sweeney talks about like, you know, a defining moment, you know, like what's a defining moment? Well, that's like a defining moment, but like I have to reflect on that you know and think about like man what would be you know like some of those moments like that's that's one of those moments you know and I really just but I also think that that's really uh that one obviously really uh you know really stuck with me you know so I just think that just the reflection piece um you know I think it just kind of comes and goes you know and there's times where you know like I mean I shoot someday I'll, I'll have to share it with you like I sat down and I just started basically um, very much in a, a similar fashion to uh, Fergus Connolly, the uh, uh, I forget what is it, fifty one lessons or whatever. Yeah, fifty nine lessons. Yeah, fifty nine lessons. Kind of in that format, almost like kind of like what are some things I've learned along the way? You know, like like you know, I just like I have a list of like man, like what are some things like I really believe in that have like a moment or something that's kind of shaped that. So that's probably where that comes from. <laughs> wow, really cool, really really cool. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's even good just for people listening. A lot of people, I mean, one of our guys was going in for an MRI um, and 
uh, one of his friends was like, yeah, just go and sit there. He's like, oh, I have to be there for an hour. Like, what am I going to do that whole hour? He's like, just sit there and think about how you got to that exact moment. And I really thought about, I'm like, how many people really take that time to think about that or really like, we're sometimes we're always so busy or we're so caught up in this and that. And I think it's so powerful, even just for me listening here, it's like, that's some pretty deep stuff right there to really think about that. I catch myself at times where I'm like, like if I'm on a plane and I'm just sitting there and it's like, I don't have anything else to do. Sometimes I'll just pull out my phone and just like start like, you know, like not even journaling, but just start thinking about like, okay, like whether it's listening out, like, Hey, I need to do this or whatever. Like, I just think sometimes, um, you know, I'm probably, I could be way better at it, you know, like those kind of in-between moments, you know, and you know, I've talked about that before, just like not wasting in-between moments, but uh, sometimes I'm really good about it. And sometimes I'm not, but like, I'd say a lot of my thoughts have come like sitting on a plane. Like a lot of times, like that's where, you know, where I don't have anywhere to go. Like you're trapped, like like the MRI thing, like you have nowhere to go. Like that happens to me all the time. Like yeah. I'm just sitting there like, huh? Like I just thought, you know, and I, I just think that, you know, I, I, I do think though, like the reflection piece is, I, I think that's where you can like, you know, people talk about, Hey, you gotta be honest with yourself and, and all that. And like, I just think that, uh, you know, the man in the mirror stuff is a big deal to me, you know, but like, you have to like really sit down and think about that stuff sometimes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I even think about, I have those moments too, where I call it like epic thought moments where like, you're just sitting there and yeah, whether like the next great idea, are you thinking about something like that's where some of the greatest, intuitions or just things come on my mind like my imagination and and things of that matter it kind of just takes me to something else like you know you always post on your stories count your blessings right I want you to talk a little bit about that because I know probably a lot of people see that where does that come from and and I mean I know we've had there was that one day you were walking down the hill and I came up to you and I'm just all fire I'm like there's so much to be grateful for coach and you're like yeah man yeah but, you know, the pictures of the red or when you take pictures of uh, the Fresno Stadium now, like count your blessings. Where does that come from? Yeah, I. I just think that. One, like if you don't really stop and think about. Uh, like. There really is a lot of good going on around you if you stop and like really acknowledge it Mm. and you know, like, like that's one of the big things that I've just kind of, you know, like at the end of the day, man, like I just think being grateful for just, just experiences in life. I just think it's something that, uh, you know, I I mean, shoot, man, like, yeah, I've, I've, and especially, you know, like over the last couple of years, you know, I like, I've had some like, kind of like tangible blessings, but like, I've just gotten better at just kind of acknowledging like, man, like, like sometimes like you just like, I work with good people, the sun's out, like I'm healthy, you know, like, there's just certain things that you kind of like lose sight of like, man, like that really is a blessing. Like that really is like a really positive thing. Mm. And I think sometimes in uh, stressful moments or in moments where things adversity, I think sometimes like you really do have to step back and go like, okay, this is going on right now, but I also have a lot of really good stuff going on around me. Right but you have to find it. And like, sometimes, and I think that's one of the things, like, sometimes you got to find the good that's going on to like kind of remind yourself and go, okay, Hey, I'm going to get through this. Like I'm going to weather that storm. Uh, but you have to find it. Like, I, and I just think that's where the count your blessings. Like, I just think it's something that it's so uh, like, man, like I really do. Like, I really am blessed. Like, this is really good. This is really positive. And even, you know, even people talk about all the time, like, you know, some of the struggles you go through, like, like how that ends up being a positive, you know? And I just think that sometimes you have to sit back and go like, you just had, you have to find it and just remind yourself and, and the counter blessings as far as like when I share it on like my story or something like that, like, that's just like, that's my moment of going like, okay, like, Hey, if I can be a blessing to others, well, sometimes me, maybe me being a blessing to somebody else is helping them like, go like, you know what? Like, 
all it takes is with one person, if one person reflects on what they've got going on around them because of my story or because I say that, then I feel then, then I'm being a blessing to somebody else. I mean, that and that just comes back to a lot of this Tony stuff that I've been going down the rabbit hole. Like I've been kind of telling you about, like, if you become more of a blessing, then you'll be more blessed. That's really what it is. Just such powerful stuff. I'm sure people listening thought they were just going to hear from some OC. Next thing you know, they got a philosopher on here. So um, it's awesome stuff. Let's let's jump ahead a little bit. So um, obviously, Western Washington, you go have a little stint uh, up there in the CFL. But then you go to, to Stonehill, correct? I want to hear, and I want everyone else to hear, that kind of start of your career. And somewhere in there, you got to mention the grocery store. I need that. But let's just talk about, like, what it takes in terms of coaching. I don't think a lot of people realize that. And you're just kind of the beginning of your career and how you really had to get everything from out the mud. Yeah, so – so Western Washington, so I, I tried to do the pro football thing, didn't work out. Um, and Coach Ross, my head coach, uh, and then Coach Hanson, Kofense Hanson, at or he's at Oregon State now. Uh, he was the receivers coach. He was quarterbacks and receivers and offensive coordinator. And they offered me the receiver job at Western Washington, like kind of like, hey, if the pro thing works out, great. If it doesn't, like you'll coach receivers. That, that way Fence can just coach quarterbacks and he'll be the coordinator and you know, and so I was like, cool, like, I don't got to go anywhere. Obviously, I'd earned, you know, like, their respect. They just handed me the receiver job, you know. Um, it was going to pay, like, $9,000 or something like that, which is kind of, like, I guess, standard at the time for Division two entry-level kind of position. And, right. Uh, and all of a sudden, Western drops football. So I'm like, well, now all of a sudden, dropping football, and there goes that job. And then the CFL stuff didn't really pan out. And so I was looking for a job and kind of through matter of circumstances, mutual connections, whatever, um, end up getting offered the receiver job at Stonehill College in Massachusetts, Division II school, um, $12,000 a year. I accept the job, like call it early May. Uh, and then mid-May, find out that Andrea, who's now my wife, is pregnant with our first son, Damien. And we kind of go back and forth and it's like, all right, you're not going to take the job. Okay. Like, you know, like it, we kind of went back and forth and, and, and she wanted to be supportive and, and all that, but it was just one of those things where like, as we, you know, it was like, like, man, like that's across the country. It's a $12,000 job. Uh, you know, it's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe next year, but like, you know, and the head coach there, uh, Rob Talley, who's now like one of my closest friends, um, he calls me and he's like, hey, man, like, so I tell him, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to take it. And he's like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I think that you're cut out for this. Uh, and he's like, just give me one season. Just give me one season. He's like, I'll work with you. Just give me one season and then we'll see where we're at. It's like, just let's just go through the fall. Like, I'm just asking, just go through the fall. And Damien was due in January, the following, you know, so it was like, okay, maybe I can make it through the fall, get back to Washington. And, and so I go out there and coach the season. And I'm like, no, like, this is what I want to do. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, like, you know, Andrea stayed home you know, just cause you, the doctors, you know, were there in Washington and I was making $12,000 a year. It's not like, you know, uh, so coach the season, uh, come back. Damien's born. He comes a month early. So he's born in December. Head coach says, all right, Hey, like I want you back. So stay out there till March, come back for spring ball, you know, and like, I'll keep paying you for January, February, but just come back in March. So, End up doing that, uh, going out there. Andrea ends up moving out. So we drive across the country, uh, June of 2010, that was. And so she's coming out there for me making $12,000. We lived at a house. We lived at a house and we had like kind of like the master bedroom that had like a little like kind of like wing off of it. That was basically like Damien's room, but it was basically just like essentially a, 
But we live in a house that had our linebacker coach, our D-line coach, an assistant basketball coach, and us. Like, we had roommates. You know, we got a baby. Like, we had roommates, you know. And in in the house, uh, you know, it's funny. We look at, like, on, like, Zillow now, and, like, we look, and the house is incredible. They remodeled it and all this stuff. But at the time, like, it's, like, nothing to, like, write home about. You know, it had potential, but it was, like, kind of dirty and, you know, the fact that Andrea is still with me is just an unbelievable testament to uh, her because, uh, I mean, uh, like, I'm making, you know, a $1,000 a month, you know, and we live in a house with a bunch of other guys, wow. you know, and she's the only, you know. Uh, so we, we move out, we get, we get a, a place, and I get promoted to $18,000 going into year three. So now I'm like, man, like, like I'm almost there. Yeah, but uh, our rent at the townhouse we move into is fifteen hundred dollars a month. Well, fifteen hundred dollars a month times twelve is eighteen thousand. So basically, I was making before taxes and all that. I was basically breaking even before taxes. Okay, so obviously help with the family stuff like that. Um, but I was like, I got to do something or else I can't keep doing this. So I started working overnight to the grocery store, uh, Hannaford's. I had the juice aisle um, and I stocked the hell out of the juice aisle. Juice uh, aisle on lock. But that was, so it was Tuesday, Friday. It was Sunday, Tuesday, Friday were my nights. Okay. So I'd go in, those are the big shipment nights. And so I would go in and really in particular, Sunday and Tuesday nights were rough because we were in the weight room Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So on Sunday, I would work 9 p.m. to 5.30 a.m. And then we would be first lifting group started at 6.15. So I would literally drive home. I would change my clothes and go straight into the weight room because we didn't have like a real strength coach. So we were basically like as coaches, we ran the lift. Same thing, Tuesday night, 9 p.m., 5.30 a.m. on Wednesday, 6.15 in the weight room with, with the guys. So Friday was like my day. Like I got to actually sleep before I went in the weight room at 6.15. Uh and then like in like recruiting season, you'd, uh, you'd work, you know, I'd work nine to five 30 on Friday night. And then on Saturday we'd have official visits all day. So it was a grind, you know, it was, uh, you know, but like ultimately like that, absolutely, that absolutely shaped me, you know, because most people would have folded, you know? And, and so I look at back at that, like, man, like most would have folded under those circumstances and, uh, you know, but again, I go back to count your blessings. Like, like what I've got now is a result of those days. Right. Like, there's no question that that helped me get to where I'm at now. There's no question. So, uh, again, like it doesn't feel like it in the moment, but then I look back and I'm like, man, like I went through some stuff in that case to get here. Now, a lot of it, some people go through circumstances that's like really like really hard that I can't relate to. Like I can't relate to some of the things, even, you know, some of the stuff you've been through, like I can't relate to that stuff. Mine was self-induced. I wanted to coach football. So I took a $12,000 job and moved my, my now wife and six month old baby across the country. It was self-induced, you know, like I did it to myself. You know, a lot of people like where I say a lot of people would have folded. A lot of people would also say like, dude, you're crazy for even doing that. Like, why would you do that? But, um, Ultimately, again, I think that's just kind of part of who I am is like, you know, I, I had goals and ambitions and, you know, and I, I believe that that was the path I needed to take to get here. Yeah. That's so crazy. How did you even like, how did you, how did your body handle that? And I, I assume you probably were in such a good mood for those guys in those morning lifts, huh? Uh, where I knew it was a problem, I'll never forget it is. Like I'm stocking the juice aisle and all of a sudden I just puked in the juice aisle. I just threw up and I was like, I'm going to give myself an ulcer or something. Like, I think that was my body being like, this is not good. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. It's just something like, again, I guess you just figure it out. Like, I don't know. So how long, what was that time period of doing that? Just like horror schedule. Yeah. I mean, it was like a few months at a time and then it'd be like, okay, like I've got, you know, spring ball coming. Like I can't do that during spring practice. Right. You know, but I think that, you know, they, they liked me, you know, like, I think that they thought it was cool that like, 
I was a football coach, you know, like I didn't tell them how much I made, you know, like they would have been like, dude, this guy's an idiot. But, uh, you know, so like, you know, like they, they kind of adjusted, okay, spring ball guy, you know, come back after spring practice. So like, it would be like three months on three months off type of thing. And then season would come. And, uh, I don't remember how many months I actually logged there, but I had a good, good chunk of time at, at, at Hannaford's and, um, you know, but it was cool. Like, you know, like, I just think it's kind of like, almost like we had our, we had our, our group, like, I'll never forget. Like I had Jimmy, that was the the crew manager. And then I had, uh, you know, the guy, Mike, that was there. And, you know, one of our players, uncles was on the, you know, was on the, okay. you know, he, he, you know, so it was like, there was like, like, we had fun. Like as well as saying, we'd have breaks and, you know, I mean, it was a fun group. Like I, like, it wasn't like a total, like, it's kind of like, you know, like to this day, I can still remember like those, those nights. Right. That's so incredible. I can't even imagine that. I mean, sometimes I think about though, like, and this could be a question for you too. As soon as you know, you had to sleep when you were an athlete, but like, as soon as you become a coach, you can manage pretty few. Yeah. And you're, you're feeling pretty good. Rip Peloton and just let her rip for the rest of the day. Yeah. You know, and as I get older, I notice that it's a little harder to do it for sure. Um, you know, like I, but I, I just think that the one thing that I just, I, uh, I guess like my thing is, um, like you have to still find ways to take care of yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I feel like I eat relatively well other than, you know, I got a sweet tooth and stuff like that, but like, I eat relatively well. Um, you know, I, I try to, I try to sleep as much as I can, you know, like I try to take care of myself, you know, like I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge drinker and stuff like that. So there's certain things that I like, I make sure that like, I try to offset some of the, <laughs> some of the stuff. Yeah. And I got a question for you too, because you know, you move out there, say you were single and you're talking like a whole different experience. What, why was it so important to you to have a family? And and I mean, this profession is really intense. Like you said, like Andrea is an absolute superstar um, for everything that she's had to sacrifice, but you know, like, why is that just one thing you, you really, really wanted to have and you, you knew you could do both. Cause as in my mind, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, yeah, we're talking about, you know, you not getting sleep and stuff, but I mean, you're also building a family at that point too, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I knew I wanted to be with Andrea. That was, you know, like, I mean, it was one of those things where it was like that, you know, that was apparent. Um, like being a dad and, you know, it happened way sooner than either one of us expected probably is to have you know to have Damien but it happened uh so I I don't think it was like a, a planned out like hey like I'm gonna be a young parent making you know it's just one of those things where it's just kind of like a like kind of like a whole bunch of stuff all happened at once uh that kind of led to that but uh I don't know like that's the thing like I said it wasn't like a like a big planned out thing and I think it was just one of those like we I think the thing that Andrea and I have done a good job of is I think you have to uh, take ch take challenges in stride. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, like, yeah, there's times that some have been harder on us than others, you, you know, but like, I just think at the end of the day, like just understanding that like, man, like stuff's going to happen along the way and it's not going to go perfect anyways, you know, like it's like, you know, so I think we've done a good job of just kind of taking stuff in stride. So at the end of the day, like I said, like it wasn't like a big elaborate plan of like, I'm going to have a, I'm going to be a young uh, married coach with a family and I'm right. just going to work our way up. You know, it just happened, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, and we, we, we had our challenges, you know, like a Andrea and I, we talk about it all the time. Like those moments made us way closer in the long run, you know, like, like, it's just like a team, like you go through challenges and you come out stronger as a team. Like, you know, like it's the same thing. Like she and I are a team. Like we've come out way stronger because of the challenges that we've faced early on together. Very cool. So Stonehill and then I, you're going to have to refresh me on where it goes from there. Cause then you're kind of yeah. UC Davis, right? Uh, receiver so coach. Like UC, UC Davis for four years as a receivers coach. Uh it's funny like I worked with a bunch of really good football coaches and we just couldn't 
win enough games. Yeah. But like, if you look at the guys I worked with, like that was, that was my first like real education in football. You know, like I finished at Stonehill as the offensive coordinator my last year there. And like, we did some good things offensively, but it's funny. Like I look back on, like, I thought I was like Bill Walsh and it's like, I didn't know anything about football. Like <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, like, man, like we were doing some wild stuff. It was cool because like, I just got to like, like we were experimenting, we were having fun and all that, but like, it wasn't necessarily always sound or whatever. Um, we didn't necessarily always have great answers, but we did some stuff. And, uh, but then I got to UC, UC Davis and I got around, you know, like Ron Gould, who's now the running backs coach for the Rams. He was our head coach and he wow. is known as one of the best running back coaches in football and coached all those guys at Cal, you know, all the Marshawn Lynch and Javid Best and yeah. Shane Vereen and CJ Anderson, all those guys, those are all coach Gould guys wow. recruiting coached by him. So uh, he's he phenomenal, you know, and I learned so much about teaching and coaching and football and, and attention to detail and, our offensive coordinator, Kevin Daft, is killing it at Dartmouth as the offensive coordinator now. And right. really, you know, really smart guy, like really detailed. Uh, I Our tight ends coach, Paul Creighton. Well, our first tight ends coach is now, I think he's the tight ends coach for the Arizona Cardinals, Ben Steele. Uh, our next tight ends coach, he works at University of Washington now. He was at Fresno State, Paul Creighton, he really, really good. Really, really one of the best coaches I've ever been around. Like I, I always say this all the time, Paul Creighton could go coach girls basketball tomorrow and just be a good coach. He's just <laughs> a really good football coach. Uh, our offensive line coach, uh, Tim Keen, is the Boise State O-line coach. Uh, our D-line coach is now the defensive coordinator at Northwestern and was at North Dakota State and won multiple national championships. Dave Braun, uh, Bryant Haynes, the defensive coordinator at James Madison, who competed for national championships, now they're FBS. Uh, linebackers coach before that was Jeff Cop, you know, defensive coordinator, Eastern Washington. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jim Chapin, offensive coordinator, at Eastern Washington, was a running backs coach and special teams guy in the last year. Uh, I just keep going down the list. It's like we I worked with all these guys, and it's really cool now to sit there and say, like, man, like, look where we're all at. But we got fired because we couldn't win enough games you know, after, four, <laughs> after four years, you know, it, it was like, you know, I think we went five and seven, two and nine, three, two and nine, three and eight or something like that. Head coach gets fired. I don't get kept. Um, and yeah. So went to Idaho state for four days, went to Northern Iowa from there, two great years in Northern Iowa. A variety of reasons kind of led to us ending up going to Eastern Washington, you know, and I just felt, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, it was just, you know, we had some stuff going on family wise that we felt getting back out to Washington would be good just as far as, you know, getting, you know, getting closer to, you know, family as we get older and stuff, you know, but um, you know, we had some different things that kind of led to us kind of feeling that way. Uh, but I felt called to Eastern Washington, you know, I think is the biggest thing is there's just something just telling me like, I need to make this move. Uh, and ended up Eastern Washington and had great three years there. And then obviously here. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's incredible. I didn't really, it's funny. I was just talking to coach Chapin the other day about that. He said that exact same thing. He's like, we had some dudes on that UC Davis staff. We, we just couldn't put it together. Um, but he didn't list off Although he told me like two names and then we kind of stopped talking about it. That's really, I mean, what a great, another great step for you and your, your journey to have all those connections and, and information. And I mean, wow. I didn't even know that about uh, coach gold, like Marshawn Lynch, CJ, like I didn't even, yeah, that's, that's incredible. So um, yeah, you go to Northern Iowa and then you come to Eastern Washington, obviously where we connected, you recruited me, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what, how should I word this? Like, where do these processes come from? that you have we talked about it a couple before we started um the podcast but like you have a bunch of systems and and ways about going things and and is it just kind of your ability you know we talked about your reflection on yourself is it your ability to kind of extract that same information from other people and like along those lines i feel like for you a big thing that's propelled you to where you are is the mentors that you've had right and the people that you've been around Talk a little bit about the importance of that and and 
how you came about in your your process where you really dug into others and their knowledge to to help you become the best coach you can be yeah uh one is probably a first a, a huge fundamental belief in that every time I hear people say it, I just kind of like, okay, you know, like in my head, like I totally did. I don't believe that there's su- any such thing as a self-made man. Like I really do believe that at some point there might be somebody that did most of the work, but at some point somebody gave them an opportunity, somebody they learned from somebody else they maybe didn't, maybe they did the heavy lifting, but like, there's no, nobody just comes out of the womb, doesn't pay attention to anything and just becomes something like Mm -hmm. they got more information. They got better information. They got, you know, something, somebody gave them an opportunity. So I just think that, you know, it was 100% for me. It is, it is the mentors. And I just firmly believe that one success leaves clues. Mm. And I think that's like a huge deal is that I think that, uh, you know, you, you hear it said a million ways, like you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most or show me your friends. I'll show you your future. All those like. I just really believe that. If you want to be successful, you need to surround yourself with successful people or successful habits that you get from like you, you acquire those skills or those, that knowledge base. Uh, Because I really just think that it comes down to like the ability to extract and take that, you know, take different lessons and use what's useful and reject what's useless. Like you just have to keep going. Like as far as like uh, developing who you are and what you bring to the table. Uh, but again, I just think that if you if you just are so stubborn as like I'm gonna do it my own way and my way or the highway, like I just feel like you you miss incredible opportunities to do it at a higher level. Like like I'm trying to be the the best at what I do. Well, if I'm trying to be the best, like I need to pull from other people that do it at the level that I'm trying to do it at, and if I want to exceed it, well maybe. I might need to pull from a couple different of those things to be able to exceed, exceed that. So I just think that, uh, I think the mentor thing, I think it's huge. And sometimes the mentor thing might be, might be reading and might be, uh, watching a video, you know, like just, you don't have to actually know the person to feel like you're being mentored by them. But I just think that like, you have to like legitimately like pull from as many different resources you can to fully complete yourself and in your development. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, I mean, it bleeds into one of the things I was going to ask you about too, but it may, it's makes sense for the thing that I've always wondered too, why you're such, you know, you're such an avid reader and it's kind of perfect for me, but when I met you, it was around this time where I was really diving into that sort of stuff, especially like, I remember after one off season, my, my coach was like, you're not working out anymore. Cause obviously I'm addicted to just lifting weights and destroying my body, <laughs> but uh, he said, you're going to read whatever the Kobe book. Right. And I read his, when it, that first came out and it really blew my mind. Like there's all this information out there. And to your point, like if I'm trying to go do something, I'm not special. Like someone else has already done it and knows how to do it. So like success does, does leave clues. Like just go find what they did and go do it. That's how it became a D one receiver. Um, and so, you know, you explain your, your reading and, but like where, where along the line did you start to really dive into books? Cause you have a pretty good collection. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, it sounds, sounds stupid, but like, like, you know, like basically I was kind of told that somebody that, uh, that Chris Peterson, you know, like the Chris Peterson, you know, is like this you know, he's an avid reader and he, you know, leadership lessons and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I want to, I want to be like Chris Peterson. Like I'm dead serious. Like it's, you know, and if coach Peterson ever listens to this, like, Hey, like that's a, that's a true story. Somebody recommended it all started with the book, good to great by Jim Collins. And 
dead serious. Like I was told that like, that was like one of the books that he like recommends to his staff or whatever. And so I read that and it just kind of, I got into it, but then over time, I became a lot more selective of like, okay, like, why am I reading this? Like, so like, for example, like, like I might read something that's more like kind of, you know, like good to greats about like organization and culture building. Right. And then like, I might read something about, um, you know, like, like the best salesmen, like how do, how are some people just way better at sales than others? And some, well, at the end of the day, like, I don't want to say recruiting sales, but I can learn something from like presentation tactics, those types of things. Right. Um, there's, uh, you know, like there are different books just as far as like, you know, about teaching, like I want to like coaching's teaching. So like, I might read something about teaching or whatever. So I just became a little bit more um, selective because I actually want to like get better at something, you know, when I, when I read, like, I don't really just typically like leisurely read, like I'm very purposeful. Like what I'm reading right now is very purposeful. Like, I just feel like, okay, like this is what I need at this time in my life, in my coaching career, my group, the group that I'm coaching right now needs, like needs me to get better in this area, you know? So I just think that that's something that I just kind of over time have kind of, I don't have a ton of time to read, so when I do sit down, when I'm like, if I like, I want to make sure that like, I'm getting something out of it. Wow. That's good stuff. So along those lines, if you were to give me, I mean, no, nobody's, I've seen some of the pictures of your, your libraries and stuff, but if you were to give me your top five books for the listeners, what, what would you give me? Uh, First one would be talent code. Mm. Okay. Talent code, talent code. Um, yeah, that would be number one for sure. Wrap that uh, myelin. Mm-hmm. Uh, 11 rings by Phil Jackson. Okay. Atomic habits. Mm. Confidence gap. Great one. That's a great one. I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you more than five. Okay. Okay. Just, yeah, just give me, just give me a list. There's three that I would wrap into one just because they're super short and super easy to read and they're kind of corny, but they're not like they're really deep is the carpenter training camp and energy bus by John Gordon. And then uh, practice perfect. Okay. That's, that's like, that's like the staples. That's good stuff. No, I'm even taking notes right now. There's a couple there. There's a couple that you kept hidden from me while you were here. So I'll remember that. I keep receipts, but it's okay though. I'm I'm not too <laughs> hurt. That's awesome. That's so cool. And I, I I was gonna ask you too, like what your process is behind that, but you already kind of explained it, right? Like finding things that are truly applicable to what you're doing. Cause I think a lot of people do sometimes just like take any self-help book or whatever. And sometimes it's not exactly what you need um, in the moment. Super cool stuff. Um, So let's talk about like this explosion that's happened in the back, like the past, what, like two years, you would say, right? Like all of a sudden you're, you're receiver coach, right? One day. And then, you know, you've, fast forward however many months right it would be like what like 16 17 months something like that 18 months 12 12 12 and then you're the the oc of, of fresno state so yeah, I, my first day here was january 4th and it was probably january 3rd or 4th that all this happened right okay so 12 months wow that's crazy and you know even when you were here i could i could see it right like you were great at what you did. You'd, you'd put in all this work. You'd learned all these things. You'd success leaves clues. You'd modeled these be successful people. Um, but then I already know, like, it felt like you were just knocking for so long. What, what did that feel like? Not even just to, like for it to all pay off, but kind of just everything just kind of started to to click for you. And the, the things moved in place. Like talk a little bit about that in the past 12 months. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it, I'd be lying to say that there wasn't a, a multiple conversations 
between Andrea and myself going like, if something doesn't crack, like if something doesn't crack, like I gotta, like, I gotta do something else because it was just getting to that point where like, you know, we were kind of, you know, kind of just kind of treading water. Like we were, we were making it, we were making it, but like, we weren't really, you know, like, we weren't really living, you know, like kind of like neither one of us were probably living the life that we kind of envisioned just as far as like, you know, and so at, at one point, you know, it was like, okay, hey, if I don't, if something doesn't break by like this age, like I got to find it. I don't know what I would have done. I would have figured it out, but like, but it's, you know, like to her credit, like she kept calling kind of BS like on me. She's like, you aren't like, you're not done. Like you're a football coach. Like that's what you do. Yeah, like I, I mean, I guess it comes back to though just like the counter blessings, like the the gratitude peaks, like like again, like somebody somebody gave me an opportunity. The first one was Coach Best, like weird circumstances, but all of a sudden I'm the gonna be the offensive coordinator full time at Eastern Washington. And like, you know, I got an opportunity to take over the situation and then be the guy moving forward. And I so that was my break. Like I'm like, cool, like this is it. Then all of a sudden the Fresno State thing happens and it's like wow, that happened fast. Like I was, you know, like I was totally mind, like I was all in on being the offensive coordinator at Eastern Washington. Like that was, that I was all in on that. And then all of a sudden, and, and, you know, coach best will tell you, like he brought me into his office and he said, are you trying to go somewhere else? Or like, what's your plan? Like, I want to, you know, I said, I, I, I gave him literally, I said, I gave him the only, I gave him two mountain West schools that I would leave Eastern Washington for. And one of them was Fresno State. Yeah, that was it. Said I'm not going anywhere else. Said if if one of those schools don't call me, if one of the, if if somebody else calls me, I'm not going. Like I'm excited about being the offensive coordinator here. Fresno State calls me. Like you know, it, it, it it's just again like, and that's just what I just go back like count your blessings like of all things of all places, you know, and uh. And then Fresno has been everything that I hoped it would be, you know, just as far as environment and the experience and, you know, coach Tedford is, he kind of been everything I hoped he was going to be and more just, you know, like it's one of those things. It's just, it's, it's been, it's been incredible. So, um, you know, the fact that I get to do, like, I, I get to kind of live out what I'm living out right now at a place that I, that, you know, like it, it just kind of all adds up and, you know, obviously, you know, it's like, man, like we need to be good. Like we need to, you know, like we need to do well on offense, you know, but like at the end of the day, like, I just feel like it's, uh, yeah. Like the last, the last 16 months has been crazy. <laughs> it really, you know, like, but it, it, at the same time though, like I'm the same, like I, I the drills are, are the same, you know, and, the mentality is the same. Like I didn't all of a sudden become a better coach because I'm at Fresno State. Like I would argue that I actually maybe have done a better job coaching certain things, maybe at Eastern Washington than I have. You know, like I think that's one of the things is that you know it, it, I think people get caught up in like, oh, he's an FBS coach or he's a D three coach or he's a high school coach. It's like some of the best coaches out there are high school football coaches. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it's been incredible, but at the same time, like it's uh, you know like what's gotten me here is working at Hannaford's overnight. Yeah, no doubt. And I can't lose sight of that. No. I think as soon as I lose sight of that, that's where, you know, it's either humble yourself or be humbled, you know, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be humbled because I think I'm, you know, better than I am. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But say everything you did, all your coaching experience, your all the accolades, the Mountain West Championship from last year, all that stuff, boom, it's just it's gone. And you can only leave three things to Damon Pax. And, you know, whether those are lessons, um, credences, uh, pieces of knowledge, what are those three things that you're leaving them? I think the the first thing I would say is for my kids – and just people in general is like, if you can't do something because you like literally can't do it, like that's okay. But don't, 
let someone tell you you can't do it mm. and that be the reason that you don't get it done and i just think you know like i i worked so hard to try and run the fastest 40 of my life at some of those cfl workouts and i i was just not going to crack into the four threes like i think i got the most out of myself but if someone would have told told me like you can't run in the four fours like like okay like yep like that you know and, and i just think that you know and i just reflect back on uh you know, somebody told me early in my college coaching career that, you know, I had, they, they, they kind of helped me like get, I didn't even get, I didn't even ask for it, but they were like, Hey, I can get you this job. Um, it's not really coaching college football, but you'd be coaching high school football and it would pay you $75,000. I'm making $12,000 and I have a kid on, on the way. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. They're like, and they said, you will never. And he looked me right in the eye. said, you'll never make more than $75,000 coaching football. Okay. Got you. So it's just one of those things where like not to brag about how much I make, but like, like, dude, like you flat out just told me like I'm my first year coaching, like you've already told me what my capacity is. Like, I'm not going to let somebody tell me what my capacity is. So that'd be the first thing. Like if you can't do it, you can't do it. But like, don't let someone tell you that. Uh, I think Number two would just be purely just like a mindset of improvement. Like 1% is a big deal to me, uh, mm. you know, getting 1% better, like attacking things like that, you know, and just like, man, like if I could leave them just a mentality of getting better at what you do. Um, and then I would just say, you know, probably it's like, work hard and treat people right. Like, like, like just those virtues, like work hard and treat people right. You know? And I just think at the end of the day, people gravitate to people that do those two things. Right. Like things work out typically for people that do those two things. You did nothing else, but work really hard and treat people right. The universe has a way of taking care of those people. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I really like that that first one because i know i know that's part of part of what drove you probably through some of those hard times or is that a little i know you hear that over and over again you should almost send him a thank you letter now um that's awesome so last question here the name of the podcast is the make it happen podcast right so i ask everybody this what what does it mean to make it happen to you uh two things that stand out probably more than anything one make it happen to me like take control of your life like don't leave things to chance um like we really do control so much and you know like the whole saying like we all have the same 24 hours um you know, I, I think the whole concept of be a thermostat, not a thermometer, like, you know, I, I, I just think like, take, like, like go control what you control, like go control what you control. Like to me, that's making it happen. And then, you know, I, I, I think the other thing that I would just say is um, like, and this kind of on the flip side of it, like understanding that God's timing and your timing are always, are, are, are very rarely the same. And I think too often we like block blessings from us because we get so caught up on things happening when and how we want them to. And when they don't, we like, like whether we put up walls or we give up or we start doing something else. And it's like, dude, if you would have just stuck with it, like, we want everything on our time and then it disrupts our lives when we don't get it. And it's like, dude, just stay the course. Like just stay the course to me. Like that's making it happen. Like just stay the course. And I just think that so often we block positive things from ourselves because we let something disrupt it, disrupt us. Cause it didn't go exactly how, how and when we wanted it to. 
And so I just think that it's just like control what you control. And then like, just understand that, like, like, I always think like, there's like that meme of like the guy that's like, you know, with his pickaxe and he's digging. And, and then there's the other guy putting his head down. And he's like, just about to break through the wall to the diamonds, you know? Yeah. Like that's me. Like I'm the top guy. Like I'm the top guy right there. You know, like that's how I look at it, you know? And I just think to me, like that's make it happen. Like that's make it happen in a nutshell right there. I told you, I told you he was going to bring the heat. What a great episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Like I said, one of my favorite ones to date. So, so incredible. Uh, all the value that he was given, the way he looks at life. And it really does make sense that why he's been able to get to where he's at now. So I appreciate you guys so much. Once again, please just rate and review this podcast. It really helps it grow and helps me get more guests like this on. Uh, I got a, a bunch of really good ones coming up. We're going to have a great summer full of incredible guests and incredible value-packed interviews on the Make It Happen podcast. So with that being said, make it happen out.